you are listening to the Revive Church Podcast. We pray that this sermon blesses you and enhances your walk with God. Feel free to come worship with us on a Sunday morning, or you can learn more about us online at revivechurch.org. Good morning, Revive. All right, sounds like we are ready to worship. All right, I just want to teach you one thing real quick. The book of Psalms, also known as the as the, uh, the book of praise in Hebrew, uh, probably the largest book in the Bible. I mean, if you're counting words, something like 43,000 words. If you go to the last book in the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 50, 150, Psalms 150, the last verse of that Psalms 150 says this, says this. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, I want you to repeat that. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You see, today you praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So listen, today we're going to begin into another core principle, the core principle of worship. But, but, but before we get into that, I need to pray. We need to pray. Thank you, Father God, for your, for your, just for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to come, open up your word, to see what it is that you'll have us to learn today, Lord. This morning, as, as there are many words that are spoken, words, words, lots of words, Lord, I just pray that my words would be in line with your will, in line with your word, that, that you would be honored and, and, and glorified by, by just uh, what it is that you have to say through it, Father God. So today, Lord, I just beg and I plead, Lord, that, that you would be able to, to take just the meditations of my mouth, that they might be acceptable, Lord, to you. Please, Lord, I just ask that you would just help me, Lord, as I, as I have prepared in the weeks past, Lord, to be able to share what it is of this major element that, that should characterize our life as, as worship, that we would understand what it is to be true worshipers. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So if you've been here the last several weeks and have sat in our worship service, then you've heard you have heard a consistent phrase. And that phrase is what it is being consumed in Christ, being consumed in Christ. What this this should be our primary characteristic at Revive. That is to be our primary characteristic here at Revive. Our core principles reflect that very characteristic. So, so, so far, if, if you haven't been here, I'm going to just kind of do a little background. Uh, last week, Esteban touched on adoption. Adoption. So what it is to be adopted into the family of God, that is a spiritual adoption. We, we have the privilege of calling God, God of heaven, God of our life. Uh, we, we have the privilege and opportunity to call him Papa daddy so no longer to be condemned no longer to be condemned but because because we we are his children we are kingdom kids that is now the week before that bruce touched on graciousness what it is our core principle to uh to live in graciousness and it's this because god lavished upon us grace uh, the kindness of god instead of his wrath we too as a church uh, as individuals are called to demonstrate this unique characteristic that is placed in us as a result of God's Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So it's one thing to talk about grace. 
one thing to, 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 uh, to uh, memorize and repeat words about grace, how, God, how God's grace saved us, how his mercy saved us. It's an entirely different beast to actually be gracious, isn't it? To be gracious to those who don't deserve grace. Yet, do we deserve grace? We don't deserve grace. So, our core principle is to do that, is to live what it is to be gracious. Now, Esteban also touched on being uh, the core principle of, of, of being people of God's holy word, recognizing that is that God's word, this word right here that we read day in and day out, is God's breath. Literally, it's his exhale. It's his breath. We can know that it is true because the God of the Bible is the God of truth. He is the God of truth. And in him, there is no deceit. Revivers, listen, we, we are a people, a family here of God's holy word. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1.3. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Peter says this. He says, everything pertaining to life and godliness, everything. Isn't this what? what we want isn't this our goal as christians as followers of jesus don't we want that for ourselves this this can only be obtained but notice where it can only be obtained it can only be found through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and ex and excellence the question is do you actually want that do you want that listen read Read his perfect, unchangeable word, the inspired word of God, the breath of God, and you will be changed. Russ touched on the intro, our intro to our series, that is being consumed in Christ. What, what is that? What, 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 is it that? what is it that consumes us? Distractions, I don't know if you were here for that particular sermon, but distractions can totally waste our life away. How so? Well, Russ explained about this article he was reading. I, it caught my attention. And it had to do with today's technology. Not yesterday's technology. Not dial-up modems and, you know, fax machines. No. Today's technology. The average individual touches his phone. How many times do you remember in a year? One million times a year. Going for the phone, touching it, grabbing it, swiping. Look, what does Facebook have to say? What does this have to say? What does this have to say? How many friends do I have? How many fake friends do I have, that is? Now, those that are out of control, that's a normal guy, normal woman, one million times a year. But the person who's out of control, two million times a year. I mean, seriously, two million times. I mean, we're, our life is out of control. We are full of distractions. It's so easy to be distracted, to be consumed by stuff, by stuff. The Bible says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the words, let the words, let the teachings of Christ as we read them for ourselves in the word of God, let them be at home in our hearts as we read, study, and saturate, saturate, overload our minds with the words of Christ, and we seek to obey it through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Then, and only then, 
will the word of God be at home in our hearts. We will then have the welcome mat. We have welcome mats out in front of our doors, right? Do we have the welcome mat out for the word of God? Is it out there? Feed me the word. Please give me the word. Let's look at our, our, yellow, our yellow slips here uh, that talks about what we're going to be working on now. Today, we'll be working on worship. Worship. What is worship? What is our principle of worship? It says this. We worship God. We worship God daily in spirit and truth, gathering together as his congregation in the excitement of knowing our Lord, sharing his revelation of himself through his word and shouting songs of praise to him. We recognize that he is sovereign Lord over our lives and we are privileged to obey and serve him each day. Worship is commonly defined as follows. It is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. That would be something inward, okay? But now outward, it is to show reverence and adoration for a deity, honor with religious rites. That is, to treat someone or something with, with the reverence and adoration appropriate to a deity, that would be the outward action. So that would be a commonly defined uh, word for, or, uh, for the word worship. But, you know, as I studied, as I studied over the past several weeks and prepared for this, I came to this conclusion. One, that my understanding of biblical worship is weak. It's lacking. Clearly, it's not isolated to a church service. It is not isolated to a worship service, singing a few songs here and there, whether it be here at church or you're jamming away like for me in an attic space treating termites, gelling out to some praise and worship songs. No. True biblical worship is not limited to these things. The other thing I learned is that worship is the apex. It is the high point of the Christian life of the local church of here at Revive, that should be the very apex of who it is that we are. So our worship isn't also just limited to this place. My own definition of worship, you, you can find what MacArthur's definition of worship is and, and Piper's definition of worship, but what is your definition of worship based on who you know the God of the Bible to be? It's easy to quote someone else, right? But what do you say? Who do you say? Well, how would you know that? You've got to get into his word. You've got to be a people of God's word. Worship is our humble attitude, our inner man's response to all that God is according to his word. According to his word, that is important. How we worship, how we live will reflect who we worship. Why? Because how we worship is based on our personal relationship and our knowledge of Christ, our King. For he alone, he alone is who we adore, who we revere, who we worship. If he is all our hearts desire, then we would agree together with the psalmist when he said this in Psalm 73. Psalm 73, 25 and 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
The psalmist simply says this. He says this. I have you and nothing compares to you. Therefore, I desire nothing on earth. Think about that for a second. What is it in your life right now that is in competition for your adoration? What is in competition, right, even right now as we're, as we're sitting in church, what is competing for your worship? What's there? What is in there? Is God our exceedingly great reward? Is he really all that we desire? Sure, in church we can say that. In church we can say that. But what about outside of church? How about when you're going through this real difficult struggle? Can you say God is our exceedingly great reward? He is all that I have. He is all that I desire. According to the first sermon on this series, two million times touching our phones. We are distracted, full of distractions. Can we actually say that, that he is all that we desire? He goes on, my heart may fail. I may even die, but I have you, Lord. I have you forever. Not a temporal state like some earthly relationship. No. He says, I have you forever for all eternity, but God is the strength of my heart. Listen, the church, the church as we know it isn't this building. Our church revive is made up of individuals who who have come to know that they need a savior. We all need a savior. But if we as a church miss out, if we miss out on what it is to worship God in spirit and truth, we've really missed the mark. We've actually failed. And I would say that we have failed tragically i'd even say we've gathered we've gathered in vain imagine coming to church and never worship the god of the bible that's like going to a concert and never hear music never hearing a note being played yet it happens all the time people come to church but they're not worshiping what are they doing who are they worshiping the man in the mirror all what they want, all what I want. When you hear the phrase family reunion, let's have a family reunion. What comes to mind? Yeah, I see the look of dread out there. Oh, no. Family reunion. Well, listen, good food is what I think of. Good food, catching up with family, getting to know the new in-laws, right? I don't know if that can be good or bad, but Family reunions, these, are, these, are, these things are all expected at a family reunion. But when you hear the word church, when you hear the word revive, our church, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? If the word or phrase worship, worship, or worshiping God doesn't come to mind at all, there is something wrong. There is something drastically wrong. Our core principle says that we worship God daily in spirit and truth. What does this mean? What does this mean? If worshiping God is the apex of our life as individuals and as Revive is made up of individuals who worship God, why is this important to know? Why is this important to know? Because I'm convinced of this truth. When we prioritize our worship of God daily, daily, okay, in spirit and truth, the rest of these things, everything else that follows that statement will fall into place. It is important to worship God daily, right? 
So, for example, gathering together, being excited, being joyful, sharing his word, singing songs of praise, recognizing that he is sovereign, our desire to obey and serve him daily. But see, first, we must, we must worship God daily. It must be in that order. If we fail to worship God daily, in spirit and in truth, our understanding, our heart's attitude, that inner man, our heart's attitude toward God and all of his goodness in our lives will what? Will remain darkened. It will remain dead. The worshipful heart, we can learn from David, is a heart that is not forgetful. A worshipful heart is a heart that is not forgetful, but can clearly identify what God has done. For example, turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, the book of Psalms, is also known, as I mentioned, as the book of praises. Now, last Sunday, I had the privilege of teaching our little Sunday schoolers about a woman that had a 12-year disease of constant bleeding. And we also got to talk about a 12-year-old girl that was dead. In the same Bible passage, we learned this. And so our... uh, Sunday school class memorized Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3, but I want to start with verse 1 because it says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none, forget none of his benefits, who pardons all our iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. David, David demonstrates something for us. He demonstrates what worshiping in spirit and truth is. You see, I don't think David is doing this strictly on Wednesday and Sunday, like as he's getting ready to come to church. He's like, oh, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, as he's coming to church. No, I have a strong feeling that this is David's lifelong attitude. He's revering. What is he doing? He's adoring. He's worshiping God inwardly. In his spirit, he says this. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. David isn't trapped. He is not trapped in lip service mode. You've seen lip service mode, right? Merely with externals, with outward appearance of worship. He recognizes the who. He recognizes the truth, you see. The author of Psalm 119 the longest chapter in the Bible. Some suspect it's David, but I always say when the author is unsuspected, it's always the Lord anyways, right? It's his word. It's his breath. The author also recognized something about God's word, the testimonies of the Lord also. What is the source of his joy? Let's look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119 says this in verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Look at verse 11. I have inherited something. He says, I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Verse 12, I, I'm sorry, 112, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. The psalmist, the psalmist worships the Lord by obeying God's word. It serves as light for a dark path. The testimonies of the Lord are the joy of my heart, he's saying. Can you, can you say that? Can you say that today, that the word of the Lord is is the joy of your heart? 
The testimonies are yours forever. The testimonies of the Lord, are they actually the joy of your heart? How will you know? Again, not just on Sunday. Of course, you're going to muster up that joy, maybe even a fake joy, just to be able to push through it. But can you actually say that the word of the Lord brings joy to your heart? This guy, I'm convinced David, David loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. His affection and, and adorations are not polluted. How much joy does he have? He continues, I have inclined my heart to do, to do. This psalmist isn't interested in merely hearing the word of God. He has inclined his heart to perform it, to live it, just until he gets out of this tough situation, until he gets out of this situation with Bathsheba. No, no. He says forever, even to the end. You see, when we come to church, are we prepared to worship God this way? Are we eager to hear? Are we eager to do his word? Is the word of God the joy of my heart? Do you agree with the psalmist? Do you agree with him? Oftentimes you hear people, you hear their complaints. You hear their dissatisfactions with their previous church. Uh, you know, there are genuine reasons to leave a church, but generally you find with most people, it's, it's a heart issue. Their heart isn't right. They, they go to church to take, to take, to get, to receive. What are you going to give me? How are you going to help me? The give me, give me. They, they're, 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 we're still in the toddler phase. Give me, mommy. Give me, give me more. I want more. Please. I want it all. Perhaps you're new. Maybe you're a new Christian. You're, you're a babe in Christ, and you're not sure what to do in your church. But, but those who have been professing Christians for years need to, need to stop. Just stop and think about what biblical worship is. Worship, you see, is all about sacrifice. It is all about sacrifice. It's all about you giving your whole heart to the Lord. No keepsies. I've heard, I've heard Chad say this word, keepsies, so I'm taking Chad's word. So no keepsies. You don't keep any part of your heart. If you are the Lord's, then you give it all to him, every bit of it. No, we like to keep a part of this one over here because, see, we like to remain distracted. I want to be distracted. I don't want, do I have to give everything to the Lord, my whole heart? Yes. Yes. Do you recognize where you've been, what he saved you from? He saved you from the pit. Oh, we love the pit. We love the pit. We love it. We want to be there. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. You say, we say with our whole heart, use me, Lord. What can I do? What can I do for you, Lord? That, my friends, is a heart of worship. Are you down this morning? What's got you down? What is it that has you down? What's got you feeling overwhelmed? Maybe life, life has got your eye off the prize, off the upward call, distractions. Oh, our life is so full, of, especially here in America. We got so many distractions. But you know what? Let's take a, let's take a, uh, a page out of Psalm 103 and let's reflect. He recognized who pardoned, who forgave all our sins. That is the main thing there. Who healed all our disease? Who redeemed our life from the pit? The pit of destruction. 
The Lord is the only one. He's the only one who can accomplish these things. He does what is impossible for man to do. Man can't earn his way into heaven. No matter how good you might look, how good you might be pretending, but at the end of the day, you're just that. You are the, remember the oldie? The great pretender. We are the great pretenders. We love to pretend and to say and to think that we're okay, but the reality is we're not. We're not okay. We need the Lord. We need him to do a work, and we need him to do that impossible work to save our souls. That's what, that's what David is talking about. Regarding this pit, how does what is impossible for man to do he does, that is. God Christ does this. He purchased you and me, our life from the wall that we were chained to. What wall? The wall of sin. A life of sin. We were best friends with the world. We love our sin. In love with, with not only ourselves, but we were deeply in love with our sin. Oh, but everyone does that. We make excuses. Well, everyone does that. I mean, it's okay, right? No, it's not. The Bible says it's sin. I don't understand how it is that we've strayed off what the Bible says. Well, because everyone else, who cares what everyone else is doing? That is irrelevant. What does the Bible say? Is God true or is he a liar? You look at yourself in the mirror and if you for some reason think you are not a liar, you've not read the Bible. Because we are good at pretending. We are good at putting up a show. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do this. Listen, we were in love with sin, living a life that was away, detached, separate. That's what death is, separation from God. We're living that life because we love our sin. Heading down a path a path that was not designed for you or me that leads to destruction. That place wasn't for you or for me. King David reminds us not to forget. A worshipful heart does not forget what the Lord has done. He's not distracted. He, when, again, how can we not be distracted in a world that is full of distractions? Read the Word. Read the Scriptures. What does it say? What does the word say? I love that David says this, that he says not to forget because we are forgetful. I'm forgetful. That's my, that's my beautiful wife. She's always having to remind me to do things because I am forgetful. Well, I think for most of us men, I think we have uh, what they call uh, selective memory. Selective memory. I only want to hear where I'm going to be benefited something if I do this thing. So it's called, uh, okay, that's the inside voice talking here. So, okay, forget that, scratch that, all right. Bottom line, David says this. He says, forget not his benefits. Forget not his benefits that he has forgiven all our sin. He continues, the Lord places a crown. Listen, you, you know, Russ was talking about what it is that God wants to fill us with, right? And it's true, God wants to fill you with something, but look what he places on us. He places a, 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 a crown of loving kindness and compassion. Think about that. You, this, this morning when you looked at yourself in the mirror, did you see that crown of loving kindness? 
there on you? Did you see that, that crown of compassion? I mean, this is what God gives you, a crown of loving kindness and compassion. Is that what characterizes you? Loving, compassionate. See, pretenders, we are good at pretending. These two crowns are not ours, you see, by default, because we're not that way naturally. We are not full of compassion. We're not full of loving kindness. They don't belong to us, you see. The Lord gives us these crowns. When? When he redeems us. Can you see that, Revive? Can you see that? They're his, but he gives them to you. But we like to keep those in the drawer. I'm not feeling it today. I'm distracted. Things aren't going my way. Lord, how can you do this to me? Easy. You don't want to go there. Psalm 25, 6. Remember, O Lord, that your compassion and your loving... You, 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 see, you want to underline that. Whose they are. It's not just what I'm saying. The psalmist in Psalm 25 says, Your loving kindness, capital Y. See, if you're reading the ESV, it's lowercase y. NASB. Okay, NASB gets it right. Your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old. They are his. He gives you these crowns. David says, oh, Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, you see, they belong to him. They're his. They're his attributes. The Lord crowns us with these when he redeems us, when he forgives all our sin. How does David respond to this awesome truth? How does he respond to this? He says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. That's what he says. That's his response. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. David, you see, he's a good example for us, what it is to worship. He is in the zone. He is overwhelmed by God's graciousness, loving kindness, the truth of his word, his compassion. The list goes on and on and on and on. But you see, one thing David is clear on, he has a clear and accurate perspective on who his God is. Very clear, very perspective. The question is, do you, do I have a clear perspective on who God is? When we come to church, this is the perspective that we need to have. If you don't, if we don't as a church collectively, as revivers, have this perspective, we're going to fail. We're going to fail at what I believe is the foundation, the apex of what our life should be. We're going to fail at worshiping God because, you see, it, it's not just here. It is every day you should be consumed in Christ and wanting to worship him. We fail at worshiping God in spirit and truth. David, David is a true worshiper. Today, God is seeking true worshipers. Did you know that? God is seeking true worshipers. We just read about David and his worship of God and how great and awesome God is. And we know David can speak about God's compassion and loving kindness because David, in case you don't know, even though David is a, is a man after God's own heart, according to the Bible, the Bible says that, 
you can read some of the things that David did, right? Some of these atrocious, sinful acts. You know, and I'm glad those things are in there. You know why? Because God is gracious. He forgives. You see, David, David was just like you and me. That's the great thing about, about our God. See, our God is not a, he's, he, he is a respecter of no persons, rich, poor, broke, whatever. God is gracious to all. He is a respecter of no persons. He wants to save. And so David is a great example because he is imperfect and he too needed, needed a savior, you see. Now, worshiping without boundaries, what does this look like? Well, John chapter 4, let's turn there. John chapter 4, you're familiar with this passage because we covered this a few weeks ago. And, and Jesus, uh, in John chapter 4, you have this uh, encounter, this conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. You see, Jesus has a divine appointment. Jesus, you know, he... He is an appointment keeper because everything he does is based on a schedule, on a time schedule. Look at John chapter 4, verse 4. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible, but it's a good verse. It's a good verse because it says this, and it might, it might, it might even seem like no big deal to you when you read it. But look at verse 4. John 4, verse 4. That's easy to remember, John 4, 4. Okay? And he had to pass through Samaria. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He could have gone some other way. He could have gone in some other direction, but this verse tells us that he had to do this. Jesus was on a divine schedule with divine appointments, always on time, as I mentioned. He had to pass through Samaria. Why? Why? Because he, earlier he, he had met an immoral, self-righteous, teacher of Israel named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But today, in John chapter 4, verse 4, he has a special appointment with an outcast, an immoral woman, a harlot of Samaria. And look at verse 21, John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, and now, you know, I wonder if today, if Jesus was speaking like that, they'd probably think, oh, man, you, you, you're speaking kind of rough. Because he's like, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people... For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus' response, I who speak to you am he. After Jesus had like a two-minute conversation with this harlot, the Samaritan woman, she perceives something. She perceives that he's a prophet. 
She comes to this conclusion, why? Because he pretty much describes her sin in detail. He describes her sin in detail. Let me highlight what God's kindness and what his grace looks like. Look at verse 16. We'll start there, John 4. He says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have correctly said, I have no husband. You are right about that. For you, he goes on, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. And this you have truly said. You see that there? He just peeled that back. That's his kindness, you see. That's God's mercy, the fact that he loves us so much that his spirit shows us our sin. That is good. Imagine going to the doctor, and the doctor sees this horrible situation going on in your body. And he just puts his arm, and, and you can see it, but he puts his arm around you. Oh, you're going to be just fine. What? What is that black spot? Oh, listen, it's going to be fine. You're all right. No, Jesus peels back the layers and he's like, okay, you know what? You've, ex you've, you've answered correctly. You're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five and the guy you're sleeping with now isn't your husband. That's why you're out here at noon, away from the rest of the women because you don't want to associate with the rest of the women because everyone knows you. Everyone knows your stuff. You've been on TMZ, you see? You've been all over Facebook. Everyone knows your business. But you see, Jesus has an appointment to see her. Just for this right here. Why does he do this? He does this so that you see it, so that we see it, you see. He wants us to recognize for ourselves that it's sin. Have you been there? Have you been there? You're, you're reading the word. Then God's spirit uses his word and boom, there it is. Like, uh-oh. I do that? Do I do that? He exposes our sin. His word shines a bright light in that deep, dark crevice, that, that secret closet you have, you know, that it's all up in there, man. Boom, nice big bright light. Like, whoa, man, what do you do? What do you do? See, we're all related. We're all related in this way. We're born in sin and you know, and you know how, how we're all related? We do this. We do the same thing that the Samaritan woman. We deny first, we deny it. No, no, that's not me. And then we're like, okay, you know, let's have a debate about this. I'm going to debate this with you. Her response, quite frankly, is just predictable. It's predictable. She makes a religious accusation regarding worship. And then Jesus defines who the Father seeks to be as worshipers. Jesus said, Jesus said this, Worship must happen this way. You see, it is not an option. He says must. It must. He says, an hour is coming, and now is, when the, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must, underline that, must worship him in spirit and truth. A.W. Pink said this in one of his commentaries on the 
exposition of John, he points out that there are three musts in John, and this is important. There are three musts in John. You, you must be born again in chapter 3. The Son of Man must be lifted up later on in John chapter 3. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth, John chapter 4. The first, the first concerns the Spirit who imparts the new birth. The second concerns the Son who was lifted up on the cross as the atonement for our sins. And the third concerns the Father, the object of our worship. And the order is important. First, you must be born again by trusting in Christ's death for you. Only then can you worship God properly. And you know what? He's right. Everything is in the Bible for a specific reason. Everything is there in an orderly way because we don't serve a God of confusion. We don't serve a chaotic God. We serve a God of truth. And we must worship Him in spirit and truth. Jesus said that we must worship the Father this way. You see, the Jews, <clears throat> the reason why the Samaritan woman is coming with this debate is because the Jews had reduced worship to outward actions, outward forms and rituals, traditions and ceremonies. The Samaritans, they were an idolatrous nation. They, they feared the Lord and they also served their idols. However, they did not listen. They did not listen to the Lord. Paul, in his epistle to the church at Colossae, writes regarding commandments and teachings of men and all these other things. And I see a bunch of stuff with this, you know, all this doctrine and, and, and theology and all these arguments and debating and all this and that. And, and that's all fine. And there's a place, a time and a place for that. But let's not get our focus off of who we should be worshiping. Sometimes we get focused on right here, right here, horizontal, like this, boom. Okay, I want to have this debate with you. I want to talk, 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 all these words, words, words. And then we forget, oh, wait, it's really, we're supposed to be worshiping him. It's all about him. Colossians 2.21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and, and, and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul says, these have the appearance of wisdom, but are of no value. This is external worship. It's false. It amounts to what? A big zero. Just all a bunch of outward stuff. You look busy. You look real religious, man. Man, you must got it all together. Remember, great pretenders we are. We get consumed with outward action. Outward action. All right, I'm doing this right. I'm doing that right. I'm doing that right. Yeah, but your heart, man, it's not in there. It's empty. Darkness. What is the priority? The priority is to worship him, to be consumed in Christ. Why is there no value? Isaiah says this in 29, Isaiah 29, 13. It says, because this people draw, draw near with their words, 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 you see, and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me a con consists of tradition learned by rote. God doesn't want our lip service. He doesn't want external actions that appear, that appear to be genuine. Lip service and all the religious stuff that we do, it doesn't interest God. In fact, he hates it. See, everyone else around us might, oh, man, you're doing a good job. Wow, man, that's great. You got it. Man, you're on point with that. You're, you're, you're really doing a good job with that. Man, that's fantastic. 
pretenders. It's hypocrisy, you see. Hypocrisy. You know, Jesus says something very specific to, uh, and and he's actually quoting Isaiah 29, but he's saying it to the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? The religious leaders of the day. The religious folk. I mean, do you know people like this that are really religious? Really, really religious? You know, all these Bible verses, all this stuff about the Bible, all this stuff here and there. They'll take you from here to there, and then you stop and ask a question about what they actually believe to have a dialogue, and it's like crickets. They only know where to stay in this zone right here. Okay, I just want to talk about this right here, this theology. All I know is this right here. No, no, no. no. Well, let's talk about this. How did we get there? Let's talk about this. Uh, Boom. They don't know because all they're doing is tradition. What they've been taught, taught, taught. But what are they reading? What are you reading? What do you say? What has God taught you? What has he showed you here at church in your own personal Bible study? Jesus says this, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. See, all this religious activity, learning, knowledge, commandments of men, teaching as doctrines of God. It's all they are, just a bunch of stuff. Teaching as if it's his word. Taking your focus off of what his word says and focusing on precepts, rituals. Growing up a Catholic, there was these things called the Catholic Catechism. Do you remember that, love? Thankfully, I didn't actually go through all that. Somehow something happened. I think I got too busy playing baseball in high school and I just somehow dropped out. All I can say to that is let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, because he is sovereign over that, okay? The problem is God wants you. He wants, and that's not a problem, that's a good thing. He wants me to worship him. He wants you to worship him with your whole heart, worshiping him daily in spirit and in truth. He doesn't want any leftovers. He doesn't want any leftovers. He doesn't want a distracted heart. He wants to be first. Not just here on Sunday. Always, forever, your whole life. He bought you. He redeemed you. Do you realize that? He redeemed you. Joshua asks an important question, which has to do with decisions. It has to do actually with day-to-day decisions. Back in Joshua chapter 24, this helps us understand and put our perspective into how we can worship God daily. Because every, every decision is an act of worship. We need to worship God with our decisions, with our lives, and we need to be radically living our lives for Christ. This, too, is our spiritual service of worship. Most people have this verse in their living room or on their front door before you ring the doorbell. You'll see this on their, on their front door right there. What does it mean, though? Joshua 24, 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That word serve can also be used as worship. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. 
whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. You see, Joshua, Joshua reminds the people of God that they must choose today whom they will serve. They will either serve a false god, a god that is a man-made, made up in his own imagination. See, we're good at this. We're good at, at, at creating our own gods, right? A god that, that, that we can fashion up in our own mind with, uh, with commandments that we can keep, actually. That's the kind of God we serve, actually. That's the kind of God we want to serve. His commands are agreeable. And actually, they make us feel good about ourselves. Make us feel good about our sin. A God made up in the deceitfulness, actually, in our own heart. That's where you find most people when they're worshiping other gods. It's because this God suits me better. See, this God knows me. It's the God that you made up in your own in your own heart, and that heart is desperately wicked, you see. Joshua cuts a straight path. He says, choose today. Serve the dead gods, those that your family has served for generations and generations. You've, you have family like this? You know, they worship false gods, and they've been doing, oh, but, but how is it that you're born again Christian if your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, all these traditional traditions and generations and generations have been serving this other system? Well, that's just it because I read the Bible. The Bible says that we are to worship the God, the God, the God of the Bible. We're to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So, are we going to serve the dead gods or are we going to worship the living God who created the heavens and the earth and all that they contain? Again, I ask you, why did you come today? Why did you come today? Who did you come to worship? Did you come to worship? I trust that today you did come to worship the Lord, the, the God of the Bible. Perhaps maybe you're here and you're still distracted. Maybe you're, you actually have your own God set up, but you're just here for the show. Entertainment value. Man, did you hear the way Steve Manning played? Man, that's awesome. That's great. And, and you did a great job, by the way. But still, is it all about the entertainment? It's not. It is not. Coming to church with our own ideas, our own idea of worship based on our corrupt hearts, well, let me tell you, that, that's, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous place to be. You've heard people say, well, you worship God, what? Your way, and I worship my God my way. We all serve the same God. Is that true? Of course that's not true. That's ridiculous. That's a cop-out. That's like the Samaritan woman. It's a debate. They want to get into a debate. The fact is, do you worship the God of the Bible or not? Who do you say Jesus Christ is? See, that's what it comes down to. It just comes down to the musts. We must be born again. We must. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. I wonder, I wonder about Aaron's sons. You know the story, Aaron's sons? I wonder if they, if they thought, thought this through about worship. One thing is clear, though. 
is that God said this regarding this specific altar, the incense altar. He says this in Exodus 30, verse 9. He says, You shall not offer any strange incense on this altar, or burnt offering, or meal offering, and you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. God lays out some clear shall nots. Shall not offer any strange incense or burnt offering, a meal offering, and you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. We're talking about the, the, the altar of incense. Jake, can you put that slide up regarding the, the uh, tabernacle, what this looks like? So back, back then, there's this, this is what the tabernacle would look like, and it's kind of an image I pulled off the internet. But right there, it says altar of incense. Do you see that? The altar of incense is right in front of what's called the Holy of Holies. This is where the Shekinah glory would come down and rest in there. God's presence would just boom right there. Behind the veil, that purple, is that purple love? I can't tell because I'm, is that purple? Pink? Whatever that veil is. That separates that thing. Well, <clears throat> the altar of incense, the altar of incense is, is what we're talking about here. And God says, you shall not offer any strange incense on this altar. Now, <clears throat> One author says this, only incense and only a certain kind of incense was to be placed upon this altar. The priest would go in and burn incense every time they would light the lamps of the lampstand. This altar speaks of prayer. Listen, everything to do about the tabernacle had to do with the worship of God. This was not a place where you get together and just, let's have some fellowship and hang out, talk about the food, talk about sports, you know, what people do in church today. You know, little gossip here, little gossip there, little click here, little click there. No, there was none of that going on in there. No, that place was a place of worship right there. That's what that represented. The holiness of God dwelt right there. Right there in the whole, that's why it's called the Holy of Holies. Not just anybody could walk in there. Well, the altar speaks of prayer. And we know this because the Bible uses incense as a symbol of what? Of prayer. And praise in many places. The tabernacle is a lot like the church, if you will. This place that represented the worship of God. I mean, when you think of church, you should think worship. It's a place of worship, right? Now, fast forward to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. Now, Nate, verse 1 through 3. Now, Nadab and Abihu, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Verse 2, And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. Look at Aaron's response. Aaron, therefore, kept silent. Nadab and Abihu got the memo. They got Exodus chapter 30, verse 9. They were very aware of this command. They knew the memo, but you know what they did? They said, no. No. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it my, I'm going to worship God my way. What did they do? They refused to obey the command of the Lord regarding the incense altar. And as a result, God took them out. They were consumed by the Lord. 
Aaron's response, it really breaks my heart because every time I read it, see, I'm a parent and I've got boys. Last thing I want to hear is that one of my kids was judged by the Lord because they did not treat the Lord as holy. Think about that. As parents, for your kids, you want to raise them up, man, in the ways of the Lord, not to profane the name of the Lord. Don't do that. Don't you love you? I mean, your kids are a reward from the Lord. Why would you want to allow them to stray? I mean, teach them what the word of God says. Aaron was silent because he knew his sons didn't worship God with reverence and holiness. They went out and offered strange, perverted fire. That was their form of worship. They thought it would be cool to do this. Something happened there. But you know what I think? Nadab and Abihu is a picture of pride and arrogance. Of those who determine to worship God their own way. They're stubborn in their ways. No, I'm going to worship God this way. Listen, if I'm going to be honest with you, I am, t- I am terrified standing up there here sharing, preaching to you about this. I've had to study and look at this. Listen, I'm just a normal man. I am a feeble man trying to share with you what the word of the Lord has taught me. They did what they wanted, but not according to the word of the Lord. In the end, they chose, and they chose poorly. They didn't believe. They were judged. They did not worship in spirit and truth. They worshiped their own way, and they did this before the people of God, which is bad. They did that right in there. As they were offering this perverted, strange fire, and God took them out. We want to be, listen, those who represent when we come to God, We want to be treating God as holy, as holy. And we want to honor Christ in everything that we do. We want to be consumed in Christ, not consumed by Christ. What makes us different from the world? What makes us different from the world? Seriously, do your friends know that you're even a Christian? Do they know? Do you have to remind them, hey, man, you know, I don't drink because, no, I don't do that because I'm a, they should know that. Your life, you shouldn't have to tell, well, well, hey, no, man, I'm a Christian, you know, and then with this sad face. Oh, man, I really wish, man, back in the day, man, I used to really, you know, really? That's your life? Do you miss that? You miss that. No. Inward, worshiping in spirit and in truth. Do you recognize where you've been? where Christ has placed you. I mean, you've got a new citizenship. Where? In heaven. That's where you, that's your new home. Old address, the pit of destruction. New address, glory with Christ. I mean, like what, do you really have to even think about, do you have to debate, uh, let's see, what should I, uh, choose Christ. How do we view the Bible? Do we believe it? Do we love his word? Do we keep his word? We want his desires to be our desires. We want his wants to be our wants. But we can't be distracted. We cannot be distracted. We live in the world of distraction. So many distractions. Our heart leads us down this path. And James says it, 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 we're, we're, we're carried away by what? We're carried away by our own lust. We like to, oh, man, if, see, if my friend didn't come over, I wouldn't have done that. 
if my wife hadn't given me the idea to eat that cake, I would have never ate it. If we didn't do this and we didn't do this, but my friend, they're this bad. No, James says we are carried away by our own lusts. You can't blame anybody. Blame yourself. It's your own heart. Oh, but the devil made me do it. James says your heart did it. Yes, the, I'm not saying that the devil is not gonna, cannot influence you and, 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 and not, uh, 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 what's the word, uh, oppress you in certain situations, make your life a living hell. We can see that with Job. But here, in the context of your day-to-day decision-making, whether to do right or wrong, because you really want to do, you want to participate in this sinful act, this atrocious act that you know is not going to honor Christ, carried away like a trapped animal by our own lusts it's a heart issue you see it's an inward man issue it's a spirit issue your spirit we've lost our focus christ and his word has become out of focus no longer being our number one isn't that what idolatry is there's something else that's taken our number one something else that's stolen our affection what is in that what is there what what is right there that is hit what is in the way between you and god what's blocking your worship See, you know what that is, and I know what that is. Best of all, God knows what that is. And we have to be careful. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth. We see these examples of this over and over in the Bible. You know, the most loved verse in Robert Robinson's hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, is this. O to, and you know it. O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Why do we love this verse? Because it speaks volumes to what we experience. Wandering. We are prone to wander. We must live our life for Christ according to His word. Our desire to worship God in everything, every decision, every act. We must be consumed in Christ. How about you? Are you a true worshiper? Do you worship in spirit and in truth? Jesus said, for such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Listen, in closing, because God is eternal, immortal, invisible, our desire is to make him visible. Through what? Our worship. Through our life, our transformed new life. It's a new life. It's to be living and holy, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This can only happen when we individually and corporately recognize our sin and are broken over it. Sin is not something to be celebrated over. It is something to be broken over. It's like, oh man, this sin is awful. Help me, Lord, to see my sin the way you see it. Help me to hate it. Help me to forsake it. No more excuses. The attitude of our heart, our our spirit cannot be lip service, but rather life service. When do we do this? Our lives will outwardly be put on display what has occurred inwardly. God has revived our lowly and contrite spirit. As a result, we are steadfast on the truth of God's word based on who he has revealed himself to be. Listen, God, God is seeking 
you as a true worshiper. If you haven't yet put your trust in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, you need to start there. Start there. If you have trusted in Christ and have become distracted, come back to this as your priority. God wants you to become a true worshiper. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your scripture, Lord, that it lays out what it is that we must do, and it is that we must worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, and today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see us for what we are. Help us to not be pretenders. Help us to not be Hollywood stars in our own right by being fake. Help us to be real. And if we don't know you, Lord, I pray that today, that today you would draw us to you, that we would be born again. We ask this in your name. Amen.